0: You're listening to the Abide podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I love you guys. You guys are amazing. You know, I, my favorite part of worship, not all of worship was amazing, but there was just something about seeing the next generation of Levites releasing. I'm just so like, I'm so happy that you guys were up there, Riley and Kylie, and it's just beautiful to see because there has to be something to be passed on. Like it has, it can't, it can't die with us. And not that it's, it's not about us. It's about him, but somebody has to carry that. So it was just, it was just amazing. I just championed you guys are incredible. Uh, Give him a hand. Yeah. Let's pray for just a moment. I don't normally do this, but I feel like I need to today. Jesus, we love you. And father, your word promises that, that when your word goes forward, it transforms hearts. So Father, every single person in this room, starting with me, I ask that you would transform us. As we step into what you have for us, Father, every person in a different place, but, but you're so good, you have something for every single person. So Father, I ask that every person would receive what they need to receive today. We give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. I want to talk to you guys a few minutes about um, what I feel is the change in seasons. We don't have a lot of seasons in Florida. I many of you know, it goes from hot to hot to hot. But but I believe that in the spiritual realm, there are seasons that we step into. In the Bible, you see this as we step from season to season. The Bible may call it glory to glory, strength to strength. But there's this progression as we move with God. How many of you know you're moving with God? Don't make me ask you early if you're alive. Like I was stretching in the back, so we're about to get it. But I really felt this whole week like God, He's we're stepping into a new season. I know you hear that a lot. But I feel like one of the things that we miss in the church is, listen, it doesn't matter what season God is preparing us for if we don't respond to that season. A few years ago, we went to Tennessee, and we're Floridians, which means I don't have Tennessee-type clothes, which means I spent a week and a half miserable. Why? Because I wasn't prepared for the season. And I think a lot of times we come to church and we're praying these prayers like, God, would you deliver me from this or from that? And we feel like the enemy's attacking us when the reality is we are just ill prepared for the season. And a lot of times, listen, the, the last year and a half has been funky. And it's continuing to get funky and it's hard to navigate where we're going. I'm not here to talk about what we've been through, but where we're going. But here's what I know. A lot of us were waiting for things to get back to normal. And it's like you're fighting and you're wrestling. When will things go back when God's a God of the forward? I'm telling you, for those of you that catch this today, no matter where you find yourself in your faith walk, Jesus wants you to step into something new. Whether you know him or not, maybe today's the first step in a relationship. Whether you've been saved 60 or 50 years, you have to know he has something new for you. And I heard like at night, I kept hearing this word of home. Like God was drawing people back home. And I know a lot of times we, we, we can identify home with the prodigals, and that's true. But for all of us, it's like he's calling us back home. Yeah. And home is not a place. Home is not a church. Home is not an organization. Home is his presence. Say presence. Yes. His presence is home. And so I want you to understand in the context of what we're talking, what he's calling us back into, why are we worshiping? Why are we preaching? It's all for this purpose that he would bring us back home that we would reestablish us under the lordship of his presence. Yes. And so this week I was in prayer room, and actually this is not on the projector, but I, I really have to read it. It's Jeremiah 50, and he's speaking about hope for Israel, of people who had, they, they had gone astray. This is the theme. The theme for today was a people who had gone astray. Like they, they had been led away, but God was bringing them back. There was a the hope, there was a the restoration, And in Jeremiah 50, verse 4, it says, in those coming days, says the Lord, the people will return home. Say home. Home. And they will be together with the people of Judah. And watch how they come. Because they come in a certain manner. It says they will come with weeping and seeking the Lord their God. Why are they weeping? Because they have come to the realization that they are far from him. I don't believe it's condemnation. I don't believe it's shame. But I believe there's something beautiful that happens when your heart and your head become connected. And you realize, I need him. This is the plumb line. That we live in a world that doesn't realize that they need him. You don't need more money. You don't need more anointing. You don't need more gifting. Everything that God has told you, he has already equipped you for you to do it. But it can't happen without him without a desperation a longing for him. So they will come back seeking the Lord. And watch this. Verse 5 really struck me in the prayer room on Tuesday. They will ask the way to, to, to Jerusalem, and they will start back home again. So it's interesting because you find a group of people that Jerusalem was home, but they had been gone so long, they didn't know the way back. Think about this. Because this is why people become offended. Why would we worship for an hour? Why would we sit in prayer rooms for two hours? What are we doing? We're trying to get people back home. It's like we're trying to get people to realize this is why we are alive. What about making disciples? You can make no disciples until you understand home. You can do nothing apart from, listen, don't disconnect. This is important because this is what I feel God is doing. It's like, We want to do, and we want to do, and we want to go, and we want to go. And then we get exhausted and tired, and we wonder why. It's because we're rooted and we're founded in in doing works and not in knowing Him. You can do works in knowing Him and find life. So, So they're asking the way back home. They had forgotten home. And then he says this, and they will bind themselves to the Lord with an eternal covenant that will never be forgotten. Think about this. What would it look like for you to bind yourself to the Lord? This is my Bible. This Bible has been everywhere with me. But at one point, this Bible was many different pages. But today, what, what, why is the Bible, why does it look like this? Because it was bound together. I want to say to you today, this is what the, as, as you come back home to the presence of the Lord, what he's wanting to do is he, he's wanting to bind you. This is what the Bible in the New Testament, I believe they call it union, the fruit of abiding, for you to be one with Jesus and for you to go from there. But then he says this about the people. My people have been a lost sheep. Their shepherds have, this is why, this is why they got to where they were. This is why there should be no shame, no condemnation on you. Why were the sheep lost? Why didn't they understand what home was? Their shepherds have led them astray and turned them loose in the mountains. This is what happens when you go. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. This is what happens. Thank you, babe. This is what happens when you start attending churches that only teach you how to cope with what's happening and not call you to a higher reality. They have lost their way and they can't remember how to get back to the sheepfold. What's the sheepfold? The sheepfold was a place of protection. It was a place where the sheep could let their guard down. Yeah. And I know we don't even understand this really because, you know, we, we, we think we call, it, well, we're his sheep. What does that mean? Because if we're really his sheep, you know, I've never, I've never really been around sheep. <laughs> I've seen them on TV. But when I've seen them on TV, they don't go, hey, hey, bat. You know, <laughs> what are we doing on Monday? They're not, we're like, this is why we don't understand The only objective of the sheep is to follow the shepherd. It's the only objective. It's like, I'm just trying to stay close with everyone else. And I'm trying to follow the shepherd. And he's bringing us back into the sheepfold, which I believe is healthy family, community that is grafted in, centered around the presence of the Lord. He's realigning us. Are you alive? You're looking glossed over. Don't do it to me. But God, like what I felt as I was praying yesterday, is like he's shifting our paradigm. Our paradigm of what it is to worship, our paradigm of what it is to minister to him, our paradigm of ministry. So when people are like, well, what's the point of body? Why is body here? And we say, well, we're a house built for him. Like, what does that mean? Why would we build him a house? What about people? And I understand. But I want you to look around and realize that God has brought hungry people together for the purpose of ministering to him and the Bible says when his name is lifted high, he will draw what? Men. Not some men, all men. So I'm telling you that God, He's re- our paradigm, what is a paradigm? It's a pattern, right? It's a model. It's something that has been passed on and on and on. And I believe this is important because I just want to walk us really quickly. Let's go to the book of Judges. I'm bouncing around. Let's go to the book of Judges really quickly. Book of Judges. What's happening in the book of Judges? God delivers the people of Israel. The people of Israel step into promise. They come under the leadership of Joshua. Joshua was one of the greatest leaders. Moses, Joshua, they had been led by amazing leadership. But the thread throughout this whole story is God is wanting to establish his leadership among a people. And he's consistently proposing to them, I want to be married to you. I want, I want to be in relationship. That's why he's calling them all. You see in Exodus 19, 20, 21, he's calling them all up the mountain to have relationship with him, divine relationship, but they are rejecting the relationship because they want to live their religion through a man. And so you see this constant tension where, they, where, where God delivers them and then they fall into idolatry. And I know we feel disconnected. we are like, well, we don't have idolatry because you think idolatry is about having some wooden thing that you worship. But I would submit to you that there's a lot of idolatry happening in the church today. I believe anything that has captured your heart above Jesus becomes idolatry. Anything that is stopping you from fully stepping in, being fully given, allowing God to fully capture your heart has become idolatry. Even your ideology can become idolatry if you don't watch out. The moment you think you know everything about Jesus, he will come very quickly to offend you. Very quickly. So in the book of Judges, you see that he's, he's speaking to them and he, they conquer the land. But here's the issue. As the people conquered the land, they were given this, this, this command, which was you are to drive all of the people out of the land. It was like, I don't want anything that's going to compromise you. Some of you are already thinking, he's talking about works. He's telling me, stop. He tells them, draw everything that is going to compromise you out of the land. And they would begin to conquer the land, but the moment they had just enough, they wouldn't step into fullness. And as time went on, you would see that they would become a little bit more compromised and a little bit more compromised, and then God would become upset, and he would turn them over. And allow them to see what well, you want to do, you will go ahead. And this was the constant theme. They would cry out, and God in mercy would send a judge and he would deliver, him, deliver them. But, but in chapter 2 of Judges, verse 10, he says, After that generation had died, another, this is, I want you to understand, this is the issue going on there, and this is the issue going on here. It's the same issue. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge, they acknowledge, They did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. What was the issue? They did not acknowledge the Lord and they could not remember. Did you feel that in a room when Pastor Chicho came up? He says, I want you to remind yourself. And all you can think about is every issue you have going on. It's like, I can't remember one good thing that's happened to me. Think about it. And then as he began to share, I I felt this, I don't know about anybody, as he began to share, thank you, Jesus, that you met me in a prison cell, it began to lift a little bit more. Thank you, Jesus, that you met me when my mind lifted a little bit more. Because why? There's power in remembering where you've come from. But this was the issue, that there was the people that they could not acknowledge God and they could not remember. What's the fruit, I want to ask you, what's the fruit of them not acknowledging and not remembering? It's found in verse 15. Verse 15, it says this, Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them. Let me read that again. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. What's the fruit of not acknowledging God and remembering his ways and all he's done for you? Great distress. It's this pressure, it's the fear, it's the panic. What's the fruit? I'm not fully trusting God, his leadership in my life, and I'm not remembering all he's done for me. I know you don't want to hear it. You'd rather have like a fluffy message. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue, this is verse 16, their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges. But but the Bible says this, but they prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. That's strong language. I don't know about you. That's strong. They prostituted themselves by giving their hearts to inferior things. I'm not gonna sit up here and tell you what that might look like today, but I think you have an idea. And what if the Lord stood up today and said, Hey, hey, hey I'm tired of the prostitution? Oh, so many eyes bouncing, you don't even want to look at me. But I believe, listen, this is what he's confronting. You're like, so many people, listen, all of you in different places in life, you're all hearing the same message, but you're hearing different things. Why? Because you all have a different paradigm of how God should do things and how he's going to do things. And when he shatters that, what's the fruit? I've stopped acknowledging him because he's not the Lord I thought he was. And I begin to quickly forget all he's done for me. And the fruit of that is great distress. You're like, well, maybe I should find another church. I don't know. I just, you know, it's like all of these things that come up when all these, he's calling us what? Home. So in chapter 6, God finds himself a judge. And he finds himself Gideon. And the people had been oppressed by the Midianites, by these people. And the Bible is clear. Verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6, he's talking about what's happened to them. They're, They're robbing them. They're stealing from them. They're driving them out. like they are an oppressed people and they're hiding i don't know but i feel this i feel like we're a church full of people but there's a whole lot of hiding we were talking in that room today part of what we feel god is doing is he's asking us will you take your mask off what's the purpose of a mask it's hiding it's hiding i'm not talking about you hiding in a cave or behind like there's a lot of hiding that goes on And what God is saying is like, I want to fully see you. And I want to say to you, what if the way you view yourself is not the way God views you? What if those things that people have spoken over you, the words they've declared over you are not the words that God is saying over you? So he finds himself Gideon. And he meets him there. And he was hiding. In verse 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So he speaks to him. And I love that the very first thing he does is he ascribes identity to him. Listen to me. Many of you will not step in. I'm talking corporately. I'm not talking to pastors and apostles. I'm talking to people that come to church that call themselves Christians. Many times, what we call ourselves is not what God is calling you. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner and you are now a saint. I'm sorry that offends you. But you were a sinner and once you say yes to Jesus, according to Romans, he washes you clean. And your new identity is saint. Like, well, I'm tired of being fake. Listen, once you say yes to Jesus, every every time that you give yourself to a lesser lover, that's when you're being a hypocrite. Because it's no longer your nature. It's no longer your nature. So God comes to Gideon and he says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And I love his response. If the Lord is with us, is a great statement of faith, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? He's bitter. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and he's handed us over to the Midianites? Do you feel the hopelessness there? I want you to understand that a lot of times, why is this important? Because in times of great oppression, of great pressure, I want you to know that God is raising up a remnant people. Listen to me. Listen to me. He is raising up a people that will not be compromised, but it's not just the chosen and the elect. According to Judges 6, he meets a guy who's frustrated, bitter, and doesn't believe he can do it if god is with us then where why can't i see it and this is the this is what's confronting us with the church today because you come into a service you're like god's gonna do great and mighty things and you're like what about covid and what about this and what about that And i'm like listen let's look up wake up let's look up let's look up let's like let's like look higher than what the news is saying to us and the political agenda Let's look up. Let's stop looking at lack and let's believe that God is confronting that but he's speaking identity over us. So then he says this, but now the Lord has abandoned us. Then the Lord turned to him. I love this. Because that, and many times our view of God is whenever we come with God with our issues, we believe that he turns away. So, so, so Gideon gives all of his objections. If God, is, if God is with us, then why am I in this present situation? And when he, when he speaks, God, the Lord, turns to him. And he responds to him. And he says this. The Lord turned to him and says, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel. I am sending you. But, Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe. And I am the least in my entire family. And what's the response of the Lord? Verse 16. The Lord says, I am with you. And when we boil it all down, like, you know, when you boil it all down to, like, what really matters, the the issue with the American church is we just don't believe God is enough. Look me in my eyes, I believe it. We don't believe God is enough. We're looking at, we're looking at like external things and we're trying to like figure it out. How does this add to that? We receive prophetic words and God brings prophets and it's like, I don't see how that could ever happen. But God has said two things to him. Go with what you have, which means what he has is enough and I will be with you. And I want to say that to you today. For some of you, God is calling you out of hiding. Out of that sin, out of that secret place, you're like, really me? That's how you see me? He's like, yes. And what you have is enough. You're like, what does God really want? Listen, God will take anything you you are willing to give him. Anything you're willing to give him. I can't give God because I'm a mess. Give him your mess. Give him your brokenness. Like, there's something about a weak offering, I believe, that is beautiful to the Lord. I really believe that. It's like, we think we have to get everything together, but God confronts Gideon in his weakness in hiding and oppress. And he, he ascribes identity, and then he commissions him to go. And what you see is he struggles to believe. Give me this confirmation. Give me that confirmation. The fleece has to be wet. No, the fleece has to be dry. But what's the first thing God tells Gideon to do? I want you to see this. The first thing God tells Gideon to do after he finally receives the commissioning is go and tear down the idols of your fathers. Listen to me. Go and tear down the idols of your father and build me a new, a new altar. I believe this is the season of tearing down the idols of our fathers. I don't know what religion has been passed on to you or who they told you Jesus was. But I ask you today, who is he to you? Who is he to you? It's not your father's faith. It's not a passed down religion. The first thing he's given as he's leading people back into the presence, which is home is who is God to you? Tear down what was. At that time it was the idol of Baal. But I'm telling you some of you are frustrated because you're living a faith that has been passed down to you. The only thing about Jesus you know has been taught to you on a Sunday from 10 to 12. And that will never lead you to solid ground. I'm trying. I'm trying. I don't need the woos. I do need them. Stop. So he tears down the idol. He asks for signs. And in, verse, in chapter 7, he goes out and they sound a horn. Right? They sound. I had Stephen blowing a shofar. They sound, they sound the shofar and they, they, they rally the troops. And like 32,000 people show up. How many of you know that's a good day? You're going to defeat your enemies. It's like, 32 show up. We're like, we're doing great. And God's like, that's not enough. That's too much. It's too much. It's too much. Why? Because God, here's where I'm really going to offend you. God is going to put you in situations where you can never get the glory for it. He feels good. He's like, yes, 32,000, we could probably, and God's like, that's too many people. And then he's like, well, let's do this. Let's tell everybody who's afraid, they're about to go to war. Just tell anybody who's afraid, even a little afraid to go, and like 20,000 people leave. It's a bad day. He's taking a sense. He's like, okay, we got like 12,000 left, maybe, maybe, and God's like, still too much. And then he gives them this, like, right, those who drink, those who reach in the water, and they drink the water out of their hands. And he's looking, he's like, crap, that's like, that's a little bit of people. And this is God's battle strategy to defeat his enemies. And I believe this is the very place where a lot of us, a lot of us stop short. Because we believe, well, that can't be God. We have a prayer room here, and at any given time, you come into the prayer room, and there's many people that are worshiping and ministering to the Lord, but there was a season where God had spoken to us: "You are a prayer room," and there was three of us in this room, and the three of them were me, my wife, and Covington. We had to be here. <laughs> but I was so adamant that God had told me he I had read Ezekiel 44, and he said, "Geo, I want a house where people, the Levites, would come to my table and they would minister to me, and I would share with conviction." And people are like, "What are you talking about, bro? It's Old Testament." What am I saying? We're standing today because I had, I had to be able to look beyond what the natural said. It had, and for some of you guys, I'm telling you, you've stopped dreaming with God and conquering giants in the land and taking ground in the spiritual because you have started to look around. Well, well, if it was really God, why don't I have more supporters? And why don't more people affirm me with their words? And I'm telling you, people who live by the affirmation of man will die by the affirmation of man. If the only thing that keeps you going is when when, when man gives you an attaboy, you'll stop really quick. And I believe there are people in this room that God has given dreams to. I believe he's given vision to. He's called you, and you've grown weary because you feel like God is punishing you. When really what he's doing is he's stripping away all the excess to leave the remnant. And he's unifying. Like, there's lots of people praying for lots of different things. You go to churches, some are praying for revival, and we pray for revival. Some miracle signs and wonders, and we love miracle signs and wonders. Some are praying for the remnant. What I'm saying is, when the end times come, it's going to be one unified cry. The spirit will be harmonizing with the bride, and it's only one cry. Come. Come. What's the heartbeat of that? We want you above everything else. Yes. Miracles are great, revival's great, solitude, all of it's great, but we want you. Not only do we want you to come, we want you to stay. Yes. It has to be a sustained habitation. <laughs> you want to hear something weird? So Gideon still doesn't believe, right? And then he tells him, Go into the enemy's camp. Go to the enemy's camp and listen to what they're saying. So he says this. He crept up. This is verse 13. Gideon crept up just as the man was telling his companion about a dream. And the man said, I had this dream. Watch this. I had this dream and in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent and turned it over and knocked it flat. And his companion said this your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon the victory over the Midianites and his allies. Tell me how a loaf of barley bread hitting a tent equates we're about to be defeated. Here's my point. I I feel like many times in the church, we give the enemy way too much credit. Furthermore, I want you to see that Many of us were asking to be delivered, but the confirmation for Gideon to strengthen him to go into battle came in the enemy's camp. It was in that place that he heard what he needed to have assurance to step into battle. And you know the story, he goes and they, they win the battle, the enemy begins to fight itself. And then they win, and they're trying to make Gideon the next leader, right? Right? We want you to be our leader, lead us. And Gideon goes, no, I can't. But he makes an ephod. He says, give me some of the spoils. (laughs) I don't know why I have to share this. I have to share this for someone in this room. He makes an ephod, which is a priestly, it's one of the priestly things that would go on the breastplate. And it would sit on there. But he never wore it. It was a really strange thing because he made it, but it's like he didn't use it the way it was meant to be used. And it says this in verse 27, Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it. And it became a trap for Gideon and his family. not crazy? So God uses Gideon to deliver them from idolatry. And at the end of the whole, at the end of the whole thing, he makes a, a monument to his victory, which leads them right back into idolatry. I want you to understand this because for some of us, we've been through so many battles and victories, and the reason we're stuck is not because there's demonic opposition. You've built monuments to your past that have trapped you from stepping into the future. I know it doesn't apply for everyone in the room, but I'm telling you, if you're not careful that like the Lord has been speaking to me how everything has to be submitted to him. Everything must be submitted to him. And anything that is not submitted to him, really submitted to him, can be used by the enemy to draw us away from him. Even victories. I want to read the last verse of, of Judges. Because what you see in the book of Judges is the entire time they're wavering back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. God brings a judge. He delivers them. And I believe this is the reason why. In those days, this is 2125, it should be up there. In those days, Israel had no king. And because they had no king, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. When you find a people that have no king, the only logical response for them is to do whatever they think is right, even within the church. That's why we consistently say this is not our church, this is not my church, this is Jesus' church. And everything must be submitted to the lordship of Jesus. And this is what I'm saying. are like, what's the new season? I believe it's a season of incredible submission to him. We're submitting to him and we're stepping out of the hiding and into the commissioning. Guarding ourselves in every place. Realizing God's not mad when we're wrestling with certain things. But he's calling us to step into the battle and understanding the Bible says this that the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Like before he ever went into battle, you need to hear this before you ever go into the battle, the Lord clothes you with himself. You don't go to battle alone. Before you go out, like we're about to be leading people out into outreaches, we're launching a school, all these things. As God calls you, he equips you and he empowers you. You never go alone. I want to read to you one more thing. Can I read to you one more thing? Thank you, Stephanie. I pay them after service. <laughs> First Kings 19. This is where I wanted to land today. I'm right on time. You find Elisha, Elijah, Elijah had just come out of the cave. He had fled. He had defeated. It was a huge, huge, huge showdown. But then he ends up in a cave and he's fleeing away. I actually want the whole band to come up, man. At least Anthony. And they come up here. and, And so God calls them out of the cave. And it says this, So Elijah went and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. I think that's how you say that. Plowing a field. So he was plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elijah was plowing. And then Elijah goes over to him and he throws a cloak on him he throws a cloak on him which was significant it wasn't just like covering him it was a significant act and he walked away and Elisha left the oxen standing there and he ran after him and he said first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you so picture this he doesn't say anything he walks over to Elisha throws a cloak on him and walks away but according to what he had been clothed with, he understood something's changing. That's right. That's right. Nothing needed to be said. He knew there's a shifting of the season. And he goes, oh, before I go, let me kiss my mother and my father goodbye. And then he tells them, go ahead. Go back. But then he says this, think about what has just happened to you. Mm-hmm. Think about what I have done to you. Okay? Are you tracking with me? Throws the cloak on him. He says, you can go back, but I want you to, to realize what has happened to you. So he goes back, and this must have been the res- fruit of his response. So Elijah returns to his oxen, and he slaughters them. And you understand this, these aren't just animals. This was his livelihood. This was how they paid for their bills. This, like, this was his like 401k. This was what was supposed to sustain him. And he goes back. He slaughters them and he uses the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. And he passed around the meat and they all ate. And then he went. And I feel like this. What I feel for some of you, maybe not all of you, maybe some of you, I just feel like it's time to burn the plow. How many messages do you have to hear about God calling you and choosing you before you respond and you think about what has happened to you? Every single Sunday you have the opportunity to step in to a deeper level of relationship with Jesus. The question is, will you slaughter the oxen and have no plan B? Will you step in all the way and allow God to lead you? Yeah, I lied to you. I got to read to you one more. Psalms 40, I really will end here. Actually, Tyler released this this morning. Psalms 40 says this, this is David. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And as he waited patiently for the Lord, I want you to see what the Lord did. The Lord turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. And many, say many, many Many will see what he has done and be amazed. And they will put their trust in the Lord. I want us to stand. Please. I don't usually do this, but I felt like it was important for today. Let's just all close our eyes. I want to give us all an opportunity just to respond in this moment. Holy Spirit, would you just have your way? We could do nothing without you. Nothing. I simply want to give an opportunity for anyone in the room that you're like, man, I'm I'm here, but I I feel compromised. Like I've given my heart to other things. I simply just want to give you the opportunity to come home, man. I feel that it's like the Lord saying, would you just come home? I have things I want to speak over you. Like I spoke over Gideon. I have victories for you. But there has to be a king. There has to be a king. So if that's you, if you're in this room, you're like, man, I just need to turn my heart back to God. Would you just raise a hand across the room? Anyone else? Jesus. I just want to wait because I want to pray anyone else there's no shame it's like I'm just turning back all around the room Jesus I'm coming home he's not mad yeah he is the pursuer So Jesus, for every person that lifted a hand in this room, Father, I thank you that you do the work. (laughs) For every person who lifted a hand, I just want to say it's not your job to fix yourself. It's your job to let him in and just ask him, Jesus, what do you want to do with this? Father, I pray grace over every person. Father, we admit that we need you. you can be trusted. I pray that you strengthen those that raise their hands, Father, that you would burn within them, God. He can be that there would be a passion and a desire for more, God, of your presence. God, that you would tear down every idol Every idol and every life in this room, God. God, help us to fully trust you.